This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Last week on Fill in the Blanks, two-thirds of American teens use TikTok, two, two and three, and they use it on average for 80 minutes a day. That is an unprecedented shift in where we get our information from. And these platforms make the world seem more terrifying, more brittle, more hostile. They make the rest of society seem seem sort of like that, like it's full of enemies. And that that will have an effect on our politics. It'll have an effect on our democracy. Over time, it might make it impossible to sustain democracy because democracy relies on the basic knowledge that we are all in it together. And it's really hard to believe that we're all in it together when social media presents us with fear and hatred constantly. These kids that are being bombarded with this, they're in their formative years. Their brains are in their formative years. And our studies are telling us that this actually changes the anatomy of their brains. In the neocortex, which is the front part of your brain, which is the executive functions, it's where impulse control, decision-making, foresight, all of the things that have to do with being able to navigate the terrain of life, those are areas that are developing and we're seeing changes there. We're seeing less volume there in gray matter and the connectivity of white matter. So we're seeing actual anatomical changes that are in a direct correlation with how much screen time they're spending, how much time they're spending with a device, and we know what they're getting from that device. So it's content as well as screen time. The diet of information they're receiving online is really one-sided and some of and it's not curated in fact it's it's not curated by human beings with compassion and wisdom kindness a a a desire to make them full and decent human beings it's being curated by algorithms which are ruthless in their single-minded pursuit of only one thing keeping them on the platform for as long as possible addiction it's it's seeking to addict them as long as possible to maximize the revenue they can get out of them. And that is having a really severe effect on our kids. It's There's been a ra- radical increase in the number of kids with mental ill health, with eating disorders, with self-harming. And we know, because you and I have talked to people who, who've lost their children as a result of these algorithms. And I fear that there will be more unless we actually get control of the, the, the greediness and the indifference, the kind of the laziness of the way that platforms are administered today. It's important to put yourself in that person's shoes, that person's frame of mind, and picture a 13-year-old girl that is searching for something because she's on there, and those that are kind of lonely, maybe they're marginalized, they don't really have a peer group, they don't fit in well, then this becomes their reality and they're alone with that content. It's kind of a precursor to 
for example, eating disorders, because we know with a bulimic, for example, one of their goals, and I've had them tell me so many times, they get to a point where all they want is to be alone with their disease. Just leave me alone. Let me go back in my room. I don't want to go out. I don't want to do anything. I want to get home as fast as I can and go back where you leave me alone with my disease. So here they are back in their room on their phone or their tablet or whatever. And they're just clicking and clicking and clicking. And it's just them and this content. They're so vulnerable. It is chilling. My problem is that when you know something's going wrong, and when you fail to do something about it, when people ask you and show you the impact of it, when parents say, to, you know, say my child is dead because of your algorithm, and then you still continue to deny, deflect, delay, to even worse, throw dollars at it, lobbyists at it, rather than do the right thing, then I think you become morally culpable. I think that some of those executives have, have seduced themselves into believing that the legal immunity they have under the current laws, Section 230, as you mentioned, the legal immunity they have from any liability for, that, for other people's content on their websites is also a moral impunity for the consequences of what happens with that content. And they don't. Legal does not necessarily mean what is true in morality. And they have proven very vulnerable to people like you and people like me who kind of stand up and say, no, you must do better. You can't say, well, what's the acceptable casualty rate? It's like if you're putting the content out and you know that 30% of the young women that are going to be reading this, the teens, the preteens, are vulnerable to this or whatever, is that an acceptable rate? Then the answer is not just no, but hell no. You can't put that out there when you know that a portion of your population, it's not a matter of if, but when they are going to succumb to that. And it's not a matter of it's just there if you search for it. They're force feeding it to them. Yeah. Hey, Phil and the Blankers, welcome back. Listen, this is part two of my conversation with Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Center for Countering Digital Hate. Now, the reason I'm devoting some more time to this is because I truly believe that this social media phenomenon that's happening right now with our young people may be the number one biggest crisis that they're facing in their lives today and that you're facing as their parents or grandparents. We can't spend enough time on this. It's just a big deal. It can change their health. It can change the anatomy of their brain, not just their focus where when they stop doing it, everything goes back to normal, but their actual anatomy of their brain. And when you're doing something that changes the way your brain is actually shaped and functioning, that's something you need to pay attention to. Look, we're talking here about addiction. Historically, we always talked about addiction as just being something chemical. Not true. Because this social media is set up such that it hijacks your pleasure centers. And so you have the same reaction to it you do to getting high on drugs. It's set up to addict them. It's set up to addict you. 
I'm focusing on them, but you need to hear everything I'm talking about young people regarding social media because it does the same thing to you, me, and our brains. There's something called the mystery mastery complex that I've talked about in the past. And that is, if you maintain a little mystery, you can maintain a whole lot of mastery. That's the mystery mastery complex. And that's exactly what's happening with these algorithms. These algorithms are something that everybody sort of understands, but nobody really gets how they work. Without boring you with how they actually function and how they do what they do, we can fast forward to the end product. And that is, this is an artificial intelligence tool that analyzes the user and feeds them content that is nothing more than clickbait. It will get the user so upset, so emotionally invested that they will continue clicking the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. That wouldn't happen if it was just something they like. If you like watching kittens play and do fun things, yeah, you'll do that for a little while and then you'll go on to do something else. But not if it's getting you emotionally invested. And that's what happens. There's been some research here that shows within 2.6 minutes, these algorithms start feeding 13-year-old girls self-harm content because it knows that they lack self-worth and self-esteem. Imran is really focused on this and absolutely believes that federal rules are needed to force these platforms to do more to protect children. Obviously, they're not going to do it on their own. Obviously, they're not going to do it voluntarily. And there is an urgent need to reform these online spaces, these social media platforms. That means you've got to start making noise. You've got to start raising hell about this. You've got to start writing to your representatives, to your senators. You've got to start complaining to the platforms because without intervention, these social media algorithms are going to continue to create clickbait, which gets more profit for them. The more you click, the longer you stay, the more ads they can run, the more money they can make. We need meaningful transparency about this stuff. And what we found is they did the research. They know what's going on. They're just not reacting to it. They're not doing anything about it because it means money for them. So Imran and I continue to talk about this and get into more detail about it, I think you're going to be outraged by some of what you hear, and it's going to cause you to call your teenagers in to the kitchen table or into the living room and say, hey, we need to talk, because I think when these teenagers know that they're being played, when they know that they're being manipulated, they're not going to like that. And maybe you can motivate them to modify their own behavior instead of doing it just because you tell them. We need some real change here. So listen to the second part of my conversation with this world-class expert. I think it's going to start some real action for change. And I want to hear from you on the message boards. Let me know what you think. I'm really proud to have him run on, and I'll... Let you listen. Tell me what you think. Here we go with part two. 
So the two most interesting proposals I've seen on reform of the law are by Daniel Citron and Marianne Franks, two law professors who've suggested introducing into the current what the, the, the immunity that they have for third party content. So other people's content on their website is a reasonable test that you get the immunity as long as you've behaved in a reasonable way. And and that would in, that would essentially make social media companies subject to the same law that everyone else in America is, which is negligence law. Why why are they given a special get out of jail free card from negligence, which no other company, no other industry enjoys? Yeah, nobody else does. No. If you put out a product, if it's a baby carriage or a car or a paintbrush, whatever, you're held to the standard of predicting that this is going to be safe. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that we, we have to understand that companies, it, it's, I know what it's like to run an organization. I, you know, I wake up every morning. Uh, this morning, I actually woke up at 4am worrying about money. Is the truth about whether or not I can pay my staff next month and the month after. And I know what it's like to, 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 to run an organization, to worry about the bottom line, and that's why we have laws, because actually they make sure that we are not just thinking about profitability every second of the day. We're also thinking about our responsibilities to consumers, to society as a whole. And I think it's really important that we have these companies subject to negligence law. Look, We're about to launch a PSA campaign across the United States in the next few months, which just reminds people that these companies need to be subject to the same laws as everyone else. And you can only get these changes, this really simple change, introducing reasonable, a reasonableness test, if people understand that things can change, but the only way you get change is if you demand it. You never get change if you just sit there and hope that politicians will do the right thing. And it's about time that we actually had a movement for change when it comes to these platforms that are having so much of an impact on our society and we know killing some, killing some of our children, it's time that we have a movement for change saying we can do better than this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And let's think about how outrageous a change you're asking for. That change is reasonableness. <laughs> I'm a radical. I just want yeah. reason. I'm a reasonableness radical. <laughs> yeah. So you're not asking to revolutionize the whole free enterprise. You're just saying they just need to be held to a standard of reasonableness. That's all. I'll tell you why this, this, this really, really matters. To me, I mean, you are blessed enough to have to have raised children and, and grandchildren, but my wife and I we're you know, we're hoping for our first this year. And we at 10 p.m. at night, this is what we talk about. 
I, I switch off after work, but sometimes we start talking about what it's going to be like raising kids. And we are scared because actually, how on earth do you raise the, these things that you invest so much love and time and effort and, you know, are, are sort of the, the way that our, our, our love, my wife's love, Elizabeth's love for me and my love for her um, renew itself in, you know, after we're gone, it's through our children. And we are scared about how hard it's going to be to raise them because it feels like the world is more, it's, it's a more difficult world to raise our kids in. One in which social media companies are getting away with not, with, with actually treating our kids like a, a revenue source and not as, as, as any great society should, which is that we put our kids first and their moral, physical, emotional development. And let me tell you how fast it's changed. I'm in the 21st season of Dr. Phil, and we launched in 2002. When we launched, the first text had not been sent. There was not a single social media platform. There was no Instagram. There was no Snapchat. There was no TikTok. There was none of that. And so we've had to adapt and learn. I've testified before Congress twice about cyberbullying. Words didn't even exist when we started. That's how fast it's changed. Kids used to get bullied at school. It would be in the lunchroom or on the bus dock, you know, waiting for the buses to come. Now it follows them home. You can even change schools, but the bullies follow them. You think they're back there in their room working on their homework, much of which is posted on the site for the school. And in fact, they're in some kind of a chat room or some kind of platform where there are people saying, everybody hates you at school tomorrow. Why don't you just kill yourself? And they do. It happens all too often. Those things have transpired just since we've gotten on the air. Now, TikTok launched this Ian that's your co-author about this parenting program that we're going to talk about here. His daughter, Molly, tragically took her life at 14, and he said just with what they found, 16,300 pieces of content had been saved, 2,100 related to suicide, self-harm, and depression, and had watched 138 videos, and he commented that the investigators couldn't even watch all of the content because it was too upsetting that for weeks they couldn't sleep. And a 14-year-old girl is absorbing all of this. For my team, who are just normal people, you know, they're kind of usually quite young. And so we have to have psychodynamic therapy available for all staff, you know, because every now and then someone will come to you and say, is it normal to have nightmares every night? And I'll say, okay, it's time for you to go and see, yeah. time for you to go and see a therapist. Um, it, it's really, really challenging and difficult content. And if parents could see what their kids are seeing, I think that A, they'd be horrified and B, they would naturally get into a dialogue with them about it. In fact, that is really at the core of our recommendations to parents that Ian, whose daughter Molly took her own life, and I wrote in our parents' guide, uh, uh, which we've got on our website, it's free of charge. It's counterhate.com slash parents. And parents should go and download it as soon as they can because what it, it, what it explains is what are the steps in creating a, in a, a, a decent dialogue about this? 
and it ain't brain science. You and I know this. It's it is first of all familiarize yourself with the platforms, and you can do that by reading the report. You know, then start a discussion with your kids. Say to them, look, we'd like to negotiate some boundaries here. I I, I want to understand more about what you're seeing. You teach me about what you're seeing, and I'll, I'll I'll help you to provide context. I'll teach you a bit about what I think that that this content means. Why you're seeing so much of a particular type whether or not it's normal or not and how you can you know how i felt when i was your age and how i can help you to contextualize some of the the, the content that you're reading because that's the only way that that we're going to bridge that knowledge gap that there is right now between the generations in the kind of content that we're all seeing we're not all what's out around the tv anymore like we were when i was growing up in Manchester, England, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it is a really different world in which we're isolated looking at different screens and you have no idea what your kids are looking at. Right. And what we were watching was passive. We weren't interactive sure. with it. We weren't engaged in getting feedback immediately. In my prior work before Dr. Phil, when I had like a real job, one of the things I did was work on airline crashes, many, many of them. One of the things I had to do was assess pilot performance in the cockpit. So I listened to the cockpit voice recorders, which are the last 30 minutes of the flight, right down to impact. I have two boys, and they would be really interested because it would be all over the news and everything. And then I would fly to the site and come home with a copy of this cockpit voice recorder and hearing the pilots the last 30 minutes down to impact, and they were always saying, oh, that's so cool. Can we hear it? Not one time in all those years did I let one of my boys hear one second of those recordings because there's just some things you're just not supposed to hear. You just you can't unhear it once you hear it. Yeah, We're just not geared for that. And I look at Molly hearing 138 videos of, suicide and self-harm, there's some stuff we're not supposed to hear, let alone be overwhelmed with it. The coroner's conclusions were that to Molly, who had, who had depressive tendencies, that what the videos had done, and it was the sheer volume of the videos, that she'd gotten them repeatedly again and again and again, it had normalized the idea in her head that the normal way out of feeling that way was to kill yourself. So she took her own life because she thought that was the right, that was the normal was way the out step. of those feelings. Yeah. And if you've built a system that does that to kids, a you know, the if you if you if it was a product on the markets, you'd you'd immediately run into the factory floor and say, stop, stop. It's it, we've got we've got to we've got to work out what's going wrong. These platforms yeah. double down. You said it earlier, you would do a recall. Right. If you had a car that ended with that outcome, you would do a recall, and they're doing the opposite. When you see the algorithms in action, when, like we did, when we saw how the algorithm so rapidly started giving people this content, when we study Instagram and other platforms in YouTube, here's the crazy thing. There's a lot of conversation right now about saying, let's ban TikTok then, because it has the most addictive algorithm. It does. It's the most effective of the algorithms. The other platforms are really happy about that. So they're all secretly saying, yeah, ban TikTok. Do you want to know why? Because Instagram is trying to copy it right now with Instagram Reels. So 
TikTok, which is a Chinese company, has cracked the formula for the crack cocaine of algorithms. It is the most addictive, the most dangerous algorithm ever. The problem is that Meta, which owns Instagram, and Google, which owns YouTube, are doing exactly the same thing with Instagram Reels and YouTube Shorts now. So they are playing a really, really sly game. They are saying, yeah, ban TikTok. Meanwhile, they're trying to develop the same technology themselves. It's kind of time that we just deal with the industry as a whole, because the truth is that all of them are kind of as bad as each other these days. Yeah, I see it when we're preparing for this kind of conversation and show. You see it, and they're really starting to get pretty close, pretty oh, similar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I think TikTok is slightly, it, it has the advantage. It's a really clean, it's going to sound dumb, but... It's about how easy the user experience is to create content and to distribute it. And actually, these are often the things that are marginal between a great product and a good product. Um, and TikTok's got it right. But Meta is a big company. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg has made himself worth $100 billion. You do that by being a pretty smart guy at running a business. And I think that they will eventually crack it. Google is one of the world's biggest businesses. And I think it's really important that we remember that, that the, the race they are in is not a race for who can create the best content or the best experience. It is who can create the most addictive experience. And addiction is a word that we, you know, we in society think of as a, that's a, one of the negative words. Addiction is a bad, bad thing. Social media is literally a platform whose job it is to addict you for as long as possible. And in doing so, addiction often has a lot of negative, you know, ne negative consequences to it, including killing young people. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential Television. Hi, this is Rachel Yucatel, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. This podcast delves into the lives of those who have been reduced to a single headline. Each episode will take a closer look at the stories of those who are on a mission to change their narrative. Join me as we uncover the truth behind the misconceptions, shed light on the stories of those who have perhaps been wrongfully portrayed, explore the complexities of the human experience, and celebrate the power of second chances. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? I've always said that young people have the knowledge, but not the wisdom to use the internet. It's our job with fully developed brains to bring the wisdom to see around corners. But to do that, we have to acknowledge that this artificial intelligence is taking over and happening, and it's feeding all of this to the kids. We may not have the knowledge of how they navigate around all this quickly, but we do need to have these conversations. This program that you and Ian have put together, you know, parents don't know where to start. They don't know how to start. And I love the fact that one of your steps in there is the approach of you teach me, show me how this is working, show me what it's doing. I have found that when these kids learn, they want to be so independent and so self-determined. When they learned, you're getting played. <laughs> then they don't like that. And sometimes yeah. they'll push back. But this getting them to teach the parent is a brilliant approach. 
It's just a brilliant turn of phrase in getting them to be open to teach their parents about this, and it opens the dialogue. Well, you know, I, I kind of realized this for my staff because they take real joy. They're all 20 years younger than me. They take real joy in explaining to Grandpa Imran yeah. how TikTok <laughs> works. And they're like, hey, come on, we'll show you, Grandpa. And I, I sort of, I explain so that, that what, I think there's a really nice dynamic to it. And it feels really, um, it feels really symmetrical for the kids to be able to do something for their parents and then for the parents to be able to give something back. Yeah. And I think that's a wonderful way that we can actually bridge gaps between in, in knowledge and the knowledge of how the platforms work for the parents, but the knowledge of what that content means for the kids. What is normal? You know, how can I contextualize these feelings that I have, these emotions I'm encouraged to have in terms of how I should think about myself, think about my place in society and think about how I live my life? Yeah. When you said it seemed like the normal thing, that's how you get out of these feelings. That just sent chills down my spine. That seemed to her like this is what people do when they get to this point. That's really disturbing that yeah, they're programming her for that. It was. And I, 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 I saw Ian when I was last in London, we had, um, we had breakfast together, a uh, coffee together. And, um, I'm, I'm, like, Ian is really British and kind of, you know, stoic and, and he's just been through so much and he's been so dignified and so decent throughout it all. And I'm not as stoic. And so I just desperately want to give him a hug and, 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 and share his, share his pain because it, he, what he has been through is unimaginable. And I know that the reason he does what he does today tells his story and tells Molly's stories because he desperately wants this not to happen to any more parents. He desperately wants this to happen. I think for Ian and for Molly, we need to make sure that we, you know, we say like one is too many. The, the thousands of children who have been affected by this, the tens of thousands, possibly a lot, lot more because we haven't done enough studies on this. We need to do this for them now. Well, it's so obvious, but yet... On April 18th, Mark Zuckerberg testified under oath to Congress that Meta does not design its products to be addictive. Under oath, that's what he said. He said, I view our responsibility as not just building services that people like, but as building services that are good for people and good for society as well. We study a lot of effects of well-being of our tools and broader technology, and like any tool, there are good and bad uses. If you're using social media to build relationships, then that's associated with all the long-term measures of well-being. And he said to just passively consume content and not engage with other people, then it doesn't have the positive effects and it could be negative. November 20th, under oath, that Meta doesn't design its products to be addictive. March 21st, under oath, that Instagram is not addictive. Davis, Meta's head of safety, just last September, testified under oath to Congress that Instagram is not addictive. She testified that she disagreed with calling the product addictive. Adam Mazari, president of Instagram, 12-8-21, written testimony under oath to Congress. I want to assure you that we do have the same goal. We want all teens to be safe online. They're just saying, no way, this is addictive. It's it's so funny because, you know, that's what they've said publicly and under oath, which 
I have given evidence to Congress before under oath, and I I found it a, both a great privilege, and I I found taking that oath to tell the truth. You know, there's this moment where you think to yourself, "That's that's a that's a big promise, and I, I'm going to keep to it, and it, it, it might be challenging, but I I am going to keep to it." And they 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 had that moment, and they said what they said. What we know, however, to be true is that because what we've, what's happened in particular with Instagram and Meta, so Meta is the parent company of Facebook and Instagram. Last year, a, a whole bundle of internal documents from that platform was leaked by a lady called Frances Haugen, a whistleblower, who came forward to the Securities and Exchange Commission, to the SEC with internal documents saying, I can prove that they have been lying in their public statements. And there was a load of studies, including studies of Instagram, in which they they admitted, which they'd studied what young girls thought about their platform. They realized that one in six young girls was saying that their platform makes them feel worse about themselves. They said that um, that there was a strong correlation, there was a strong linkage between use of the platform and negative body image. That, the fact that that's what they're saying behind closed doors is so different, is completely the opposite of what they're saying to Congress, I think reinforces as well why I've, I've been advocating for a long time, not just for safety by design, so you know to introduce risk assessments and everything else, but for mandatory transparency from these companies. When you control the minds of people, as these platforms do, you have a special responsibility to be a little bit more transparent by default than, you know, right now they, they, they have zero requirements on them to have to actually explain how their platforms work, what they know themselves in the risk assessments they've done. There's, there's, there's less of a sort of health and safety standard for Facebook, this platform that controls billions of people around the world and, and the information they see compared to, say, a deli in, in Brooklyn, which would have to submit itself to you know, instant inspections by health and safety inspectors, Facebook right now basically can self-report to Congress and say whatever it wants. Yeah, there's got to be transparency. And I'm like you, I've testified under oath a number of times, and that's a moment where you stop and think, I'm adding I don't know to my vocabulary a lot, because if they ask something and I don't have the empirical data right there accurately in front of me, I've learned to say, I don't know the exact answer to that, but I'll add it to my testimony after the fact. I'm not going to get up here and take a wild stab at it. I'll get that information and add it after the fact. They're up there knowing what they know from their study and saying what they say. Uh, look, absolutely. And, and we, we, our conversations changed a lot because you know earlier on in this conversation you said that you've spoken to people from these companies and um, and you we we want to believe because we are people that believe in the goodness of other human beings that they will eventually see the light and do the right thing, but I think they've been given enough opportunities now that we have to be cynical about whether or not we can get them to do it. certainly the top people, the people who should know better, the people who have the brains, the smarts, the total visibility over their companies. They have access to all the data that they're producing, all the research that they're doing. We have to be cynical about whether or not these are good and decent people, whether or not they're the right people to run to run these companies. I know for sure, having spoken to you know uh, Republicans and Democrats, that some of them say, "Well, we should have an FCC for the internet. We should so you know the same way that we do for broadcast media." 
There's some of them say we should have a licensing authority that says that you, you should have to pass a fit and proper test, a test of whether or not you are of the right kind of character to control something that's so important to our societies. Because I suspect that if you if you submitted those people that you just mentioned, people like Antigone Davies, Mark Zuckerberg, Adam Mosseri, to a fit and proper test, the answer would be completely unfit and absolutely not the right people to be running platforms of such importance. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think maybe mid-level people aren't as advised about what's going on. I think we have to also look at parents, parents that cave and give their kids these devices, access to these devices at 9, 10, 11 years old. That's just wrong. Every year you can resist caving and letting them get into that world is another year their brain develops. It's another year their self-worth, their self-esteem, their ability to determine who they are. All of that just strengthens and strengthens and strengthens. I just think 13, that's too young for kids to be on these platforms. And certainly if they're getting them these smartphones and devices with access at 9, 10, 11, I just think they're too vulnerable. I don't think they should be on there. We should have a way to police that in some fashion. It's just too scary. I have a 12-year-old granddaughter. She's very sophisticated and has a busy, busy life. And I don't worry so much about her, but I know a lot of 12-year-olds that if they were on there, I would be very scared that they're too impressionable. I don't want to lecture, you know, and I, I don't have the, the knowledge or the experience of being, of being a psychiatrist or a parent yet in, of, of teenage children. But um, I, I think asking a smartphone, <laughs> an ironically named smartphone, or uh, one of these platforms to babysit your kids is, is I, I, once, I once said this before, actually, and got into a lot of trouble for it, but I'll say it again. It's, it's sort of as irresponsible as asking Prince Andrew to babysit your kids. Um, I wouldn't yeah. do it. Yeah, I can understand how in England that might be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I want people to hear, though. If they understand how this is being curated and how they're deciding on getting clicks and getting those 18 minutes on screen. My God, you wouldn't leave your kids with them. Yeah, you, look, at the very least, when they're old enough to have these devices, you also need to, to add in the additional bit of having conversations about that content because the unsupervised access to these devices is, is you are allowing predators to be connected to their prey and their prey is our children and the predators are not just the algorithms but there are also real predators out there there are people who are spreading this content deliberately some of them we 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 study the content so we know some of the tricks used so let me give you one example of, of one of the tricks used by these content producers one third of their videos will be of puppy dogs but kids watch the puppy dog videos once they've watched the puppy dog videos and liked them the platform says, well, this person likes this content creator's work, and then it will feed them the rest of their content. The problem is the rest of their content is dangerous content. So we've seen that, that trick being used by all sorts of what we call bad actors at CCDA. So we say we deal with two things, bad actors and bad platforms. It's not just platforms. There are predators out there, people who want to cause harm. And that can be everyone from foreign state 
foreign state governments who are who are trying to create division and 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 damage to our societies to people who just get their kicks from causing harm and there are people like that people with high levels of in psychology what's called negative social potency who get their kicks from causing chaos from causing harm from causing pain it's a really familiar um psychological characteristic of trolls so you know connecting your kids to those to predatory algorithms and predatory people it's really really dangerous yeah parents need to be aware too straight predators sexual predators yeah. i don't know if you have the numbers of how quickly a child crosses paths with a sexual predator when they get on the internet i've seen the numbers and it was disturbing but again, it's like the bullies used to be in the lunchroom of the bus stocks. The predators used to be in the trench coat hanging around the schoolyard saying, you want some candy. Now they're pretending to be someone their age, building a relationship and trying to get them to go from virtual to real world. Well, and it's funny you use the, the word virtual because actually w one of the areas that we've been increasingly looking at is virtual reality. So what's the next big sort of uh, area for development of social media. And Meta, as we know, has renamed itself in part because they see the metaverse, which is what they call virtual reality, where you put a headset on your head and you can interact with people in three dimensions, a, a much more visceral in your face experience than just writing something on, 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 a, on a website. They see that as the future of how they want to build their company. Well, we did a study last uh, last year which looked at what's it like on the number one social media app on virtual reality. It's called VR Chat. It's it's on Meta's Oculus platform, and we found um, we found adults grooming children on that platform. We actually we we developed a system so we could record what our researchers were seeing in the headset at the time, and what we found was. We, we, we've got all this video recorded. It came out last year. We've actually, we're just preparing a new analysis. We've just finished the, the world's first major analysis of Horizon Worlds, which is Meta's own app on those platforms, looking at whether or not children are being groomed on there. I'm telling you, parents, if you bought your kid an Oculus headset for, for Christmas or for Hanukkah, or, you know, uh, over the holidays, I'd be thinking twice about it because the stuff we found was really disturbing. And again and again, we're seeing this failure, that, 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 that there is just a failure to think about how to build in safety, in particular for young people. And what did you find in there? How are they grooming them? Really simple things. I mean, we, we just found guys going around wanting and, and asking, like, who's, like, how old are you? Um, girl says she's 13. Um, starting with sexual conversations, uh, starting to talk about their appearance, their body, very, very rapidly. We found... Also, we found one guy preaching neo-Nazi white supremacist ideology and saying, if you use the N-word, this girl here will kiss you to a, to a young child. We, can, we know it's a child because we can hear their voice. It's prepubescent. It hasn't broken yet. And the kid then says the N-word. And you know what? That's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. <sighs> this is not just me saying it. We recorded it. This, has been rec it was, this, this study was done last year, and the New York Times put it on their front page, I think the 27th or 28th of December, 2021. So we've, you know, we've we've done this new study now on Horizon Worlds. We hope to get it out as soon as possible because that's what we do. We do the research. We get it out as quickly as possible because we know we want to reduce as much harm as possible and force these companies to act. Now, at the time, Horizon, so Meta did respond to our research and they said we're instituting a new, you know, new rules for our platform. 
one of the things that we found was that if you try and report bad behavior, the, the reporting system was broken. So you, you actually then, you know, they have a system saying, if there's abuse, click here and you can do something about it. We clicked. What we realized was they disconnected the alarm from the alarm bell. <laughs> so there was no bell going off. We just kept pulling it and nothing was happening. And yeah. I mean, so they have, I think, instituted some changes, but still, why is, a, why is an organization with 20 staff and a two and a half million dollar budget, having to tell a company that's worth hundreds of billions of dollars, your system is broken. Bonkers, right? Yeah, that's crazy. That's because they are functionally blind. They don't want to see that right now. They're working on getting it up and running and they don't want to see that. But I'm going to link to that article that you just talked about in December of 21 on the website and put it up so people can see it. And we're going to link to this program also is there a title to that, a full title to that? It's just a parent's guide. It's at counterhate.com slash parents. Okay. We've mentioned that. We're going to put that up on the website. Look, you're obviously on the leading edge of this, and you've got to keep me in the loop on this and come back and talk about this as it breaks so we can get it out because it will get to millions of parents. Imran, you have this ability of describing this stuff in ways that a, are understandable, and B, don't gloss over people's eyes. Sometimes people talk about this in such technological ways. People are like, oh my God, you lost me when you started talking about A, B, or C. But you describe it from a user's point of view. Parents can understand it. And I bet you we have a ton of questions and comments about this. And this is a great place to keep this alive and hot. So just know... This platform is open to you guys anytime you have stuff that you need to get out there here and on the show as well. And if there's anything we can do to help with these PSAs that you're getting ready to do, let me know. Thanks so much, Dr. Phil. I'm we great. can shoot those things with you, for you. Anything we can do to help, just let us know because I want this information out there. Thank you. And th look, thanks to the parents out there, the moms and dads, like people like my mother-in-law, Susan from Oklahoma, who I know is listening right now. And, and that's who, who we do this for. We know that we've got to communicate to moms and dads across America because they're the people that really matter. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure for me to talk to somebody that knows what they're doing. <laughs> and I appreciate you taking time. I know you stayed over to do this. Like I said, you can save one, and we're going to save a whole lot more than that with this conversation. I hope so. Thank you so much. Dr. Phil. I appreciate it. I hope we covered everything that we wanted to. We are so grateful to you for using the platform that you have to elevate the voices of those of us who are, who are the, the next generation of those fighting to, to have a better, you know, more decent, more harmonious America with people who people can just live their lives and be the most that they can be. And you've been doing that for a long time. And we're so grateful to you for giving us your platform today. Well, I'm here for the next time too. We'll do this again soon. Thanks. Thanks so much. Appreciate it.